welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. So I see a room filled with heroes. Some of you know it. Some of you are trying to know it. Some of you believe it. Some of you want to believe it. Some of you don't. But it doesn't change the truth that you are. Because of who is in you. Not because of who you are. And I promise to diligently strive for the rest of my life for as many of you that are crazy enough to stay with me for the rest of my life, to draw those truths out of the center of who you are until it overwhelms the exterior of who you are and you embrace the cape and you fly into other people's fear and lift them up in your strong heroic arms and carry them to safety because that's what we're all called to do. Psalm 16.3. This is your father, the same father that's inviting you to seek his face. When you seek his face and you lock eyes with him, one of the things that you're going to hear him say is, the godly people in the land, they are. Notice not will be. Notice, not can be. They are. Is anybody in here godly? Anybody want to be born again and get godly? Because I only got about half the crowd. <laughs> what makes you godly is God in. When God is in, and you believe it, and you allow that to change your way of thinking, then you'll be godly in your actions as well. But we tend to implicate people based upon their actions instead of fully embracing the reality that we are supposed to be calling each other based upon who they are in Christ. Second Corinthians 5. 13 says that henceforth now, 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 henceforth now know we no man after the flesh. 
Yea, though we used to know Christ after the flesh, henceforth now know we him that way no more. We used to be people that made all of our judgment on other people based upon exterior qualities and actions. We used to be. And then we died. After we died, we became different people. And the different people that we became are people that understand each other in Christ, in the spirit. That doesn't mean that you're blind or naive to someone having flesh flashes and being ignorant on the outside. What it means is when that's happening, they're operating contrary to their nature and they need to be corrected. And just that word that I uttered, corrected, made some people's hair stand up on the back of their neck because this is 2023, preacher. We don't do that stuff anymore. You let everybody follow their heart. You let everybody do what makes them feel good. If you like it, do it. There's no absolute, there's no moral absolutes. Everybody has their own truth. So what I do is good for me. Stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine. And that's all good. I'm fine with anybody that has that attitude. That's not born again. If you're born again and you have that attitude, I need to be better with my adjectives. The Lord, I was just talking to Bob about this yesterday. I was repenting with him on the phone because the Lord has been dealing with me about making sure that I use proper designations of adjectives so I don't over-accentuate or under-accentuate because The seventh commandment is thou shalt not bear false witness. When you learned it in kids' church, you learned it as thou shalt not lie. There's a difference between lying and bearing false witness. Lying is just outwardly, overtly saying something that's wrong. Bearing false witness is you can kind of help people believe something that's not quite right. We used to do this all the time in my earlier days of Christianity when we did a lot of street ministry where we'd come back and we'd say, man, there was like five billion people that got born again today. And another seven billion healed. And I know that's more people that's on the planet, but some of them just showed up and they got, <laughs> evangelistically speaking, no, it's a lie. If there was 10 people at the altar, then it's 10. It's not almost 20. It's not 10 plus. It's 10. It's 
So in trying to make my adjectives match, a person living contrary to their nature, if your actions are ungodly and your nature is godly, you are confused. You are a bipolar schizophrenic Christian. And your heart will never be at peace, will never be at rest. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you're experiencing it. The only way to bring that peace into manifestation in your life, to embrace the rest that Jesus died for you to live in is to have your inward man and your outward man in unity. Which means your exterior should be as godly as your interior. Your interior is perfect. Perfect. What should you be on the outside? Be perfect, even as I am perfect. As he is, so are we in this world. 1 John 4, 17. Well, I don't feel like it, preacher. Got it. You have a choice. Are your feelings God? Or is God's word God? And I know you're sitting in church right now, so you're super holy. You got all your Christian juices flowing. I got it. So you got the right answer right now. But let me ask you Tuesday, when the pressures and the stuff and the people and the things, is it still going to be the same answer? Or do feelings have a little bit more of an opportunity to be king on Tuesday than they do Sunday morning right after awesome worship and the word of God going forth? The godly people in the land, they are my true heroes. Your father calls you his hero. The day you agree with your father, watch out world. Watch out villains. Colossians 1.27, God did this because. God always has purpose. It's very, very different than how humanity operates. Humanity is just, it's just whatever. We are a candle in the wind. We are a flag being blown by whatever storm comes by. We are attracted to whatever shiny flashing object is in front of our face. But God is resolute, committed, faithful, and operates his life by purpose. This is one of my life messages. Divine Dustin, you guys hear it all the time. 
because this is so important to me. Because if you are not living your life on purpose, then you are being taken advantage of by the enemies and his accidents. If you do not know the purpose of a thing, some of you need to write this down. If you do not know the purpose of a thing, you will misuse it, abuse it, and eventually lose the benefit of it. This is what our world's doing with sexuality because they don't know that God created it to be beautiful inside the confines of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman for a lifetime. They've turned it into something to abuse, misuse, and now they're losing the benefit of it. And we actually have a population decline because people can't figure out something that even the lowest protozoa can figure out. I don't think protozoas do all that, but you follow my logic. We're, so, we're the most advanced part of all of God's creation. We can build skyscrapers and supercomputers, and we can't figure out the plumbing on a child. And that's progressive? Dear Jesus, help us. Purpose. If you don't know the purpose of marriage, you will abuse it, misuse it, and eventually lose the benefit of it. And those of you that have been through divorces, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't know the purpose of why God gave you children, you will misuse them, abuse them, and you will lose them. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you got prodigal kids running off across, across this planet, swearing allegiance to Satan. Everything in your life, everything you do, everything that you are, has a divine purpose. And if you don't know what that purpose is, you will misuse it, <coughs> abuse it, and eventually lose the benefit of it. The purpose that God had when he made you, past tense, a hero, was because he wanted you, beloved. I scribbled off Gentiles in my Bible. I put in beloved. Because he wanted you, beloved, to understand his wonderful and glorious mystery. Heroes get heroes. Heroes understand heroes. Heroes think like heroes. Some of the reasons that we might not be able to connect with our father on the intellectual level that he's asking us to seek is because he's a hero and we've not yet embraced being a hero. Is because he wanted you to understand his glorious and wonderful mystery. God has tons of mysteries because he wants you to figure it out 
and he wants the enemy to be confused like Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to mysteriously hide you in the center of a fire. That doesn't make any logic unless you're God. You know how I'll save them? I'll save them by a seven times overheated oven. You're thinking God just sent an angel and swooped down and get us out of here. He's saying, uh-uh, watch this. And here we are telling the story 3,800 years later. And this mystery is that Christ lives in you. When every time I think about this, I'm like, I think he lives in some of us and in other people, he's like trapped. Let me out. Please. It stinks in here. Sorry. The more Christ adventurous your life is, the more Christ lives through you. Like, I, I don't want to have like Christ in my wallet and I'm carrying him around and I just know, like, well, it's there, you know, if I need it. Got, I got a discover card. You know, if I, if I really got to pull it out in a really bad situation, has it really come all the way down to prayer? Do we actually have to pray? Oh my Lord, how terrible is the situation? Or is it like just walking around like, man, don't make me, I'll pop this sucker out just any old willy-nilly. Don't make me use the supernatural 14 times today devil why don't we think that way Christ lives in me one of the things that the Lord's dealt with me about is I used to say all the time and some of the folks that have been in my life for a long time know this I used to say all the time well I just don't understand I just don't get it I don't understand and the Lord showed me one time in Ephesians chapter 5 where it says that be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And it's like, the Lord said, every time you say that, you're calling yourself a fool. I said, well, I don't want to do that. Well, he said, quit saying it. I said, but I don't understand. <laughs> he said, you have me. You have the mind of Christ. Yeah, 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 but that's just a Bible verse. So is... Confess with thy mouth and believe in thy heart that thou shalt be saved. That's just a Bible verse. I did this in Africa. I haven't done this in a long time, but if you believe that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that your eternity is secured because God has literally scribed your name in his book of life. If you believe that, raise your hand. Now, raise your hand if you've seen the book.
you bunch of crazy, whacked out, mindless zombies believing the security of your eternal salvation rests on the fact that your name is written in a book that you've never seen. Because some random Bible verse told you it. What is wrong with you? You know what else a random Bible verse is? By his stripes, you were healed. Now why can you believe in something you can't see, something you can't feel, something you can't go and look at is so true that you rest your eternal salvation on the fact that that Bible verse is true. But yet this one, by his stripes, you were healed. Eh, maybe. How about Philippians 4.19? My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's, it's just that, that verse about, you know, God supplying its money. I mean, it's like, it's not, it's not that important that God supplies it because I, I can go get a job. So you can't. We don't believe that. We don't believe by his stripes were healed 2,000 years ago. We don't believe that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. According to his riches and glory. You know, what Bill Gates considers rich is different than what you consider rich. So what does God consider rich? When you hold a universe... Says in Job that he holds the universe in the span of his hand. The span of your hand is between the tip of your pinky and the tip of your thumb. That's the span of your hand. And God holds the universe there. And he says that he'll supply for you according to the riches of his glory. And you're, you're worried about what, Bill? The... What, what the government's going to do with the price of petroleum is going to throw you in the ditch? We can believe, why is it that we can believe this really hard, complex, eternal stuff and this very simple, Jesus took stripes. The stripes were for your healing. You were healed when he was striped. Never seen the book, believe the book. Never seen the stripes, don't believe the stripes. I better start preaching this message. The mystery is that Christ lives in you. Lives. And he is. He is your hope. Please make sure that's true about you that your hope is not in 
the government or the next election or, dear Jesus, I said it. <laughs> or your job change or that, that super hot guy that gave you his number or whatever, whatever you got. What is your hope in? Be one of 700 Africans in Magori County Jail in destitute Kenya and let your hope be just in God. And he is your hope of sharing in God's glory. The defining characteristic of a courageous or brave person is their submission to doing the hard things. Heroes do hard things. You're a hero, so you do hard things. The non-heroes do all the easy things. They do all the shortcuts. They do the fast food. They cheat. They do all that regular normal stuff because they're not heroes. But eventually, a hero is going to have to rescue them. So I'm telling you, be a hero, do the hard things, because they're going to need to be rescued. Yeah. Our world is desperately short on heroes. I would honestly say that most of you could probably not name one. And that's terrible. Nobody does the hard thing because they want to. Great place for an amen right there. They do it because it's needful. Kay did not want to get up at 2 a.m. and feed our children. Steve did not get up at 2 a.m. until after the, never mind, I was just going to say something stupid and pay for it later. She had the way to provide food. I didn't. <laughs> if you weigh out whether the hard thing needs your, needs the consent and cooperations of your feelings and your emotions, you will never, ever do it. There's not a person in here that your feelings and your emotions will ever cooperate with you to do the hard thing. Right. <clears throat> ever. It just ain't going to happen. You think Jesus had a rush of joy and peace and, and glory trickles and, and Shekinah clouds when he was being beaten by a cat of nine tails? Punched in the face, having his beard ripped out, <clears throat> nails through his hands and feet. You think he was just up there, whoo, 
just got so many emotions for these people right now. Really? <laughs> Heroes do hard things because they're needful. Every hard choice includes the personal loss of something valuable. That'll give you warm fuzzies. So I have to do a hard thing that is going to cost me something, possibly for someone who will never value the fact that I did the hard thing. Welcome to the ministry. Welcome to the ministry. Doing the hard thing that costs you something for people who don't value it is seven days a week, 365 days a year. And your father is well pleased. Amen. So you have to make a choice. You want to please yourself? You want to please your neighbor? You want to please your social media crowd? You want to please your father. Zechariah 8.6. This is in the Dewey Rames Bible, which I think Bob used that last week. That was a great message by Pastor Bob last week, wasn't it? Man, I, I, was, I was impacted. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if it seem hard in the eyes of the remnant of this people in those days, shall it be hard in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts. Um, I'm sure that they ain't got the Dewey Rames. Oh, I am wrong. <laughs> I repent. God bless you. Uh, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if it seems hard in the eyes of the remnant of this people, listen to this. This is radical. If it's hard for the remnant, listen, y'all. Percentage-wise, this is a remnant church. We're literally a 0.001% church. And I'm not saying that in any braggadocious way or any kind of arrogancy or pride. I'm humbled by that. And we haven't always been that. I've always wanted to be that, but we haven't always been that. We went through tons of growing pains. Amen. And we had our own sewer that we were sitting in for a while. We are a remnant church. And even within our family, there are people that are in here that are not remnant. You're not the hem of the garment. And I'm not picking on nobody. I'm saying this in a convicting and inspiring way. If you're not there, it's not anybody's fault but yours. Like you can be. He, remember, God said, seek my face. <laughs> Your face I'll seek. What are you seeking? You seek his face, you'll be remnant no time flat. You seek the other stuff and things, 
going to take a while. If it's hard in the eyes of the remnant, shall it be hard in my eyes? You know, when I say heroes do hard things, one of the things that's implied in that statement is when you do the hard thing, you're on purpose placing a demand on the one that makes the hard things easy. But you got to initiate the process. Faith without works is dead. If you do not operate in faith, then the dunamis doesn't come. It's, it's first, when Jesus cursed the fig tree, it was first the curse and then the effect. It was the centurion that told him, speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. It was lay hands on the sick and conjunction, they shall recover. Wouldn't it be nice if you just like had the thought like, well, I'd like to lay hands on them and see them recover. So God, why don't you make them recover and then I'll lay hands on them and we'll, we'll each take some credit. It's easy. You know what's hard? Seeing a sick person and realizing that you got a human hand that has absolutely nothing special about it except for the one that's in it. Amen. That's right. And going against what you see, remember that whole book of life thing? Going against what you see, it looks like an ugly hand with some calluses and some wrinkles that came from life. And I'm going to put this on a visually, diagnostically proven sick person. And something supernatural, above the natural, above biology, above physiology, above rationality, something's going to happen. And things are going to change. God, that's a hard pill to swallow. But you are faithful. You have never lied. And you said, lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Just like you said, my name's written in the book. This is true. That's got to be true. Come on. You do the hard thing, and the power that makes the hard thing easy shows up. God does not want you to be a hero by your own flesh, by your own willpower. Because if you can be it, because you will to be it, then you're not it because he made you it. I'm not asking everybody in this room to, to have more intestinal fortitude, to have more mental strength, to have more willpower. 
Dear Jesus, your willpower is what got you headed to hell in the first place. You think I'm going to want you to use that for anything? No. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, you guys know them. One of the manifestations of the fruit, they're not fruits, plural, there's no S on there, it's fruit. Whether Spirit has fruit, all of them show up. All nine of them show up. And one of them is self-control. If you do not have self-control by the Spirit, then you do not have self-control. The only way to get it is through the Spirit. The other version is self-control based upon what the world says, which is a lie. If you think you got self under control by self, that's the, in, that's the, the inmates running the insane asylum. That's, that's the lions being the shepherds. <laughs> Yourself can't control you into holiness and righteousness and doing all that. Yourself is what puts you in the mucked up junk that you're in to begin with. You think it's just going to turn around and start acting right? Well, okay, well, since you went to church, I guess I'll be a better self. Your flesh is flesh. <laughs> Sorry to hurt some people's feelings in here, but you, you ain't going to have grade A, double choice, steak, ribeye flesh and like, walk around, well, you got, look at the flesh God gave me. No, your flesh is flesh. It's going to rot. It's going to stink. It's going to cause you problems. It's going to work against you. It's going to... It is not your friend. It wants to be fat. It wants to sleep all the time. It wants to watch TV. It wants to do all the things that will destroy your life. And will tell you about it all day long. On top, it won't even shut up. To control it, there's going to have to be something bigger than you. His name is God. <clears throat> the term hero comes from the ancient Greeks. For them, a hero was a mortal who had done something so far beyond the normal that he had left an immortal memory. God wants your life to leave a mark. I'm not talking like you have to be famous and have somebody build a statue in your honor. Your, your life could leave a mark. I mean, my, my mom is a very, a very humble, one of the most humble. She's like the perfect person. And if all she did was impact four boys. But she did it well. And one of those boys goes and starts a crazy remnant church and fights the government and preaches all over the world. Did mom leave a mark? God wants your life to leave a mark. So I'm not saying you gotta be grandiose. 
but you gotta be effective in the purpose that he's called you to. And I'll guarantee you this, if you've got kids, it starts with that. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get to usurp parenting to go and be superhero and leave a mark and, uh-uh. God doesn't let you cheat the system. Heroes are willing to put themselves at risk so that others can be rescued. You know what that means? Heroes should never have the concept of needing to be rescued. How about that one? That's not warm fuzzies. Heroism is developed daily and disciplined into your character over time. You're not going to manifest hero today, but you can believe hero today. And the more you believe, and the more often you believe, the more you'll manifest. One cannot call themselves a hero until they have lived in such a way that others call them one. Heroes don't call themselves heroes. Other people call heroes heroes. The rewards for doing the hard thing are infinite and divine. The consequences for doing the easy are painful and destructive. Our Heavenly Father is calling us to do the hard thing. Your adversary is pleading with you to do the easy thing. This is hard thing number four, which is the last hard thing that I have on my list. Not that I won't reference hard things in the future, but the first hard thing that we covered was forgiveness and reconciliation. It's one of the hardest things that you'll ever do. Forgiving someone that don't deserve it and, and trying, attempting to reconcile with people that don't want you to. Hard. Very hard. But yet, it's at the very center of our gospel. Jesus dying for those that hated him and reconciling the world unto himself. It's the center of the best vision of a hero that we will ever have in all of eternity, which is Jesus Christ. And even ungodly, unchristian, agnostic people would recognize the main character trait of Jesus being forgiveness and reconciliation. So number one quality of a hero is that you are a person that seeks forgiveness and seeks reconciliation. Remember James 5 16 says that confess your faults, confess your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. You know, and I hear this verse quoted all the time by the, by the self-confessed intercessory prayer apostles or whatever they are who think that their job is, never mind, never mind. They take the second half of this verse 
The effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man avails much. And they have completely taken it out of context because the context of the verse, uh, I was going to tell her to put up in King James, but just take my word for it. The King James, as Bob says, is the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And that is in this context to where we confess our faults to one another and pray for one another so that we might be healed. It's not like God had a, a brain aneurysm and then changed track on what he was talking about and went into a little subversive prayer verse or half verse. No, the effectual fervent prayer of a person in right standing is going to prevail in the process of confessing our faults one to another and bringing healing into that relationship or into that person's life. You know what this means? It's hard. It's hard when someone's offended you. It's hard when someone does mean things to you. It's hard when someone said terrible things. It's hard when they did all the stupid and then there's supposed to be forgiveness. Because the Bible says so. It takes that much effort, effectual, fervent prayer of righteous people to make that happen. You are a fish swimming up a mountain. It's going to take supernatural influence to make that happen. If you think that I'm just going to I've been, I've been mad at Bree for weeks, months. I was mad at her when I met her. And she recognized it, God bless her, with her discernment. She picked up on it. And so she comes to me. I want to reconcile with you. Obviously, things aren't right. Nope, everything's fine. Fine, 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 fine. We go to church together. I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. Whatever. I mean, you could die tomorrow. That'd be cool. Or not. You know, it's cool. You can live or die. It's all good. See you at the potluck. <laughs> and she comes to me and she's like, I want to be in reconciliation. I want to be, I want our relationship to be in intimacy. I want to be part of the body of beloved with you. And whatever this is, this is hindering your life. It's hindering my life. Because that's what the enemy's tactic is. That's the point. The point can get, if the enemy can get you in unforgiveness and contention and strife and discord, you're just dead. That's death. It might take a minute to manifest, but it is death. And so she's coming to deal with that. You think I'm just going to roll over and say, well, you know, I'm Christian, you're Christian, so I just, I just release all the debt. We're good, good. No, it's going to take fervent, effectual prayer. We're going to have to work through that. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some honesty and some transparency and some difficult conversations. Everybody loves that. Everybody loves having difficult conversations? I know I do. Love them. Can't wait to have them all the time. No, we don't want to do it. That's hard. Having a difficult conversation with somebody? Hard. Going to someone that you know don't like you? Hard. 
Getting forgiveness from people that want to be mad at you? Hard. You know what you should do? Pray effectual fervent prayers. We think this is about intercessory prayer to change the government. No, this is about intercessory prayer to change you. You change America. Government is downstream of culture. All of you that are irritated at the American government, including me, Amen. If Jesus called me to a civil war, I'm off and running. He's not going to. He's not going to, YouTube. But if he did, I'm first in line for the draft. Government is downstream of culture. If we Americanized our culture, government would have no choice but to bow the knee. And I know you might be thinking that I'm making it now because we have a Christian culture and they're up there acting a fool. Give me a break, Christian culture. There are Christians, I won't name names, but there are Christians that pastor churches locally that call some of the most abominable wickedness that has ever hit the human race, they call it righteousness. Ministers. And we think our culture is Christian. We are a post-Christian nation. Post. And if we aren't going to be on purpose to make it current Christian, then we need to get ready to accept government that is going to do everything that they want to do to you to enslave you any way they want to. The second thing that heroes do that are hard is they are humble and authentic. Just saying those words for some of you, just is like fingernails on a chalkboard. Uh, authentic. What does that even mean? It means you're not a hypocrite. It means you don't have a mask on. It means you're not fake. It means you didn't walk in here with your Christian version and then we're going to find out later on, 10 o'clock tonight, that there's another version. If there's two versions of you, one of them is fake. You decide which. Heroes are humble and authentic. They don't need the praise of man and they're secure in who they are. The opposite of authentic is insecure. And I'm telling you, this is more, this is more real and prevalent than probably most of you know. It is, it is like a pandemic of biblical proportion of the insecurity that is in people that ends up manifesting in these in these awkward ways. I'll say this, that when you, when you see someone kind of do that thing that just like, what the? It is probably rooted in insecurity. They don't know who they are. They don't know their identity in Christ. And so they are doing something to try to make sense and make things work. I see this all the time in marriages. They're so scared that their spouse might do the 
you know, might leave them or might do the wrong thing or that they, that they have this fake version. It happens at work all the time. Well, I really want to tell my boss, but. It happens in culture. Kids, young people. This is, this is emotional bullying. Don't tell people you're a Christian. Dear Jesus, definitely don't go to the public school and tell people that you're a Christian. They will belittle the, yeah, because you're insecure and, you're, and the belittling actually affects you. I'd consider it an honor if people made fun of me for being righteous. <laughs> the third hard thing, they can fly. Which means that they can stand against the gravity of the sinking culture. Heroes have moral. Heroes have character. Heroes have virtue. It makes them rare. Heroes can fly. And lastly, the hard thing, number four, and notice I didn't leave myself much time on this so that I can hide <laughs> when I bring this up. Correction. <laughs> the hard thing, the number four hard thing, is that they receive correction. <laughs> I can empty this church out from zero to 60 with just that thing right there. <laughs> Call me up, ask me to give you three things to correct in your life. And I know this for a fact. If you talk to someone about their marriage, their money, or their parenting, you got about a 90% chance of never seeing them again in ministry. They will be church hopping until they find that preacher that ain't gonna touch any of that stuff. You tell them to you know, stop smoking, they'll be like, yeah, I know, God told me that 10 years ago. Still doing it, but thanks for telling me, preacher. You're a good preacher. <laughs> Tell someone that they're parenting their kids wrong? You better get your knives out. Tell someone that they're doing their marriage wrong? You're going to have your Ford F 150 keyed and two flat tires. Tell someone they're doing their money wrong and now all of a sudden you're a wicked, evil, prosperity preacher that's just trying to suck money out of people. No, I don't even want you to give me the money. Just do your money right. Give it to someone else if it's a problem for you to get your money fixed. Just do your money right. Jesus said if you can't do your money right, there ain't nothing you can do right. And I'm saying this not knowing any financial situations in this room or not even knowing who in this room gives or how much you give. But I'll guarantee you, statistically, there's people that have been here for years that you haven't given more than 50 cents. And you think your money's right. <laughs> no. No, I'm sorry. That was correction. See, I did it with a smile. <laughs> you do it with a smile, it's like a little spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And we're all still here. Yeah, for right now. 
Ralph Waldo Emerson said, let me never fall into the vulgar mistake of dreaming that I am persecuted whenever I am contradicted. You know how many people I've seen quit the church and go and tell other people that Steve was persecuting me? Yeah, I was correcting you. And because you're such a baby. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. One who cannot receive correction can never give it. And there's a bunch of you that are self-righteous enough to think you can go run around the countryside and tell everybody all the things they're doing wrong. And God forbid anybody ever tell you about the speck in your eye. A person's attitude, oh, that, check this one out. Man, when I was meditating on this yesterday, this one hit me like wham. Like, thank you, Holy Spirit. A person's attitude while enduring correction is the ultimate reflection of their true character and their level of humility. If you're bringing authentic correction into a person's life and they blow up, have super flesh flash, and they're ready to go nuclear on you, because you love them enough to actually bring correction, that tells you the authenticity of their character. This is why some of you cannot, not will not, cannot be corrected. And there are people in this room that you cannot be corrected. Hear how quiet it is? <laughs> show me a person who receives correction for their errors in their life, and I will show you a successful person. One of the things that made me successful was the magnitude of people that would tell me all the things I was doing wrong and stupid. Because I was doing lots of things wrong and stupid. I know I'm the only one in the room that's done wrong and stupid things. What was unique, <laughs> what was unique about me was that when someone told me I was doing something the wrong way or the stupid way, I would say, okay, I know, it's radical. A pastor without a pastor is a hypocrite. Amen. I hear all those amens from the pastors in the room? <laughs> a leader without a leader is a narcissist. Well, it's going to get worse. Just hang on. A sheep without a flock and a shepherd is mutton. Mutton. You know how many muttons are wandering around out there? Bah, bah, bah. A disciple without a discipler is a liar. Amen. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Really? Who's discipling you? Jesus. No, no, no. No, no, no. Because he told people to make disciples. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay. God bless you. You holy, righteous self. A Christian without correction is deceived. Let me back up some of this with Bible verses for all you that are mad at me thinking I made up stuff. Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. 
<laughs> I almost hesitate. I'll just let Hopi put it up and then you can read the rest of it because the rest of it is painful. <laughs> Josiah, read the rest of it. <laughs> Don't talk to people that way. <laughs> you need to say. <laughs> he who hates correction is stupid. You know who wrote that? God! God would never call me stupid. I know. He's just calling the people who don't love discipline and don't love correction stupid. So I know that's not you, right, stupid? <laughs> Proverbs 9.8. Do not rebuke a mocker or he'll hate you. This is why some of you have never been rebuked. Because I'd rather have, there, I know this is true about me with some of you. I would rather have relationship with you and try to have an opportunity to be in your life while you're running off down the path of destruction than to actually try to bring a rebuke and correction to you and then you curse me and you leave and you're out there by yourself. At least if you're in here, there's a little layer of security and safety that is in your life. And so I will not correct. There are people in this room that I will not correct you because I'd rather have a little bit of relationship with you than correct you and lose all relationship with you. Because right. some of you, if I corrected you the way that you need to be corrected, you would be hitting and splitting. And that, listen, that's not on me. Rebuke a wise man, and he'll love you. <laughs> I know you're thinking, like, man, if this wasn't the Bible, this would be so awkward. But it's the Bible. You know how you can tell whether a person is a mocker or a wise person? Rebuke them. If they love you more, they're wise. If they hate you, fill in the blank. 27.6, the wounds of a friend are faithful. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know what the wounds of a friend are? It's when they come and say the things to you that hurt. But they're needful. It hurts good. Only friends will do that. The word friend is a covenant term. And some of you don't have covenant with anybody, so you don't actually have a friend that can come and say the things that need to be said that will create the temporary pain but bring the eternal blessing. One of the greatest expressions of love is discipline and correction. Some of you are crying out for God to show you more of his love. <laughs> Have no idea what you're asking for. Because he can't correct you. If you can't be corrected by man that God gave you, or a woman that God gave you, you can't be corrected by the God that gave them. And please hear that. Proverbs 13, 24. 
he who spares the rod hates the child. This is one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. It doesn't say he who spares the rod spoils the child. He who spares the rod hates the child. You do not bring correction. You hate. I didn't write this. These are hard truths, but you're heroes, you do the hard things. But he, who loves but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. You don't beat them. You diligently discipline them. So what this means is, is the, one of the expressions of God's kind of love is diligent discipline. You know how counterculture this is? Go say this in a public school and see if they don't get called and get you arrested. You spank your child? Spank the devil right out of him. Had a spoon in both hands like a helicopter. I, I was hitting those butt cheeks like that. Sorry. Psalm 141.5. Let the righteous man strike me. Let his rebuke be an act of loving devotion. <laughs> you didn't even know some of these verses were in the Bible. Because it is oil for my head. Let me not refuse it. My prayer is ever against the deeds of the wicked. If you want to see wickedness gone, it starts with yourself. Lord, take all the evil out of the world. Okay, I'm going to bring you someone that's going to correct you. No, 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 no. You misinterpreted my prayer, God. Oh, you want me to get the evil everywhere else and then leave you? Okay, check. And I pray you write that one down and you go over that later in your quiet time when I'm not there so you can get mad at someone besides me. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 5 through 8. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is how God speaks to his children. My son, do not take lightly the discipline of the Lord, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens every son he receives. You haven't been rebuked, disciplined, and chastened. Fill in the blank. Endure suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you do not experience discipline like everyone else, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Fake kids. You know how many fake kids are wandering around the body of Christ? That's a hard thing. But you're heroes. You've heard me say this before. My number one prayer to God is God correct me. I have seven people in my life that can call me 24 hours a day, seven days a week and correct me. 
and I, my response to them is thank you. And I'm not touting on me, I'm not bragging on me, I'm not trying to say this in any arrogant way. I'm saying this, the fact that I realized how stupid I could possibly be. I'm aware of my ability to miss it. And so I've put seven layers of defense in my life. And they've done it. Pastor, ask Pastor Rich next time to hear if he's ever called me and rebuked me and corrected me. And because I responded to him the way that I responded to him, I'll guarantee that he and I have a relationship that is unique among all the people that he pastors. I'm going to let all of that just kind of settle. Like almost thank God I'm not going to minister some of you for a week because that needs to be... You need to give permission for that to get into you. Because everything in your flesh rejected everything I just said. Even the Bible verses. Well, I hate using that weird Bible version I don't like. Okay. Heroes do hard things. I believe in you. I don't, I don't want you to be an illegitimate child. I want you to experience the love of God. And sometimes it looks just like a rod of correction. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. All right, please rise. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.